Welcome to the second season of The We Society, the podcast brought to you by the Academy of Social Sciences. I'm Will Hutton, author, journalist and president of the Academy and your host in this series. So much in our times is in flux. Where are we heading? Are there grounds for us to hope? We face the future as a we, hence the We Society podcast. We've gathered some of the most groundbreaking and influential social scientists in our country to ask them how they understand we-ness and to find out how it underpins their work. Across series two, yes, we'll talk about the problems, but we will focus on solutions. That's the We Society with me, Will Hutton. To be the first to hear upcoming episodes, please subscribe through Apple or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to join in the conversation. Health is about more than just staying fit. And with every year that goes by, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by how what we eat can impact our health and our potential, with a particular focus on gut health and the gut microbiome. It's not just what I eat either, it's how I eat too. It's all connected. That's why I've developed my own Number One Living drinks brand. Number One Living is based on this idea, the simple notion that by putting our well-being first and improving the quality of what we put into our bodies, we get more out of life. My range of kombucha drinks are full of bacterial life cultures designed for a happy and healthy gut. They're sugar-free, vegan, and naturally sourced, so you can feel great on the inside and enjoy life on the outside. Choose from refreshing raspberry, passion fruit, or our award-winning ginger and turmeric kombucha. The number one living range is widely available in Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett's, and Boots stores, and online at numberoneliving.com. Grab yours today. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to the I Am podcast, all about human potential. On this show, we're blessed with guests who devote themselves in some way or other to transcending their limits and then kindly offer us access to their revelations. So this week's no exception. We welcome Angie Tiwari, a yoga teacher and breathwork specialist. Through her retreats and the many classes that she puts on, which you can discover loads more about in the bio, she helps enormous amounts of people to break destructive cycles in their lives. Angie herself is a brilliant example of this kind of almost paradoxical but contemporary spiritual practice. She has a full-time job in the tech world, but she still finds a way to balance and to explore deeper. It doesn't mean subscribing to this idea that spiritual practice takes place on a hillside when you bow out of life, nor does it subscribe to this idea that it can't be done within the rat race of the, the Western world either. She's got a relevant message that strikes a chord. She's got loads to share around the power of yoga and its immense sort of role in well-being and also what it all means to her personally too. She takes us on a really nice journey into the power of our breath, the immense power of our breath and the possibility it holds to transform our entire experience of life. She even goes as far as to offer some fascinatingly simple breathing techniques that we can get started with right away. Thanks so much for your support and for all your energy coming in. Massively appreciated. You can get all your contributions and comments and feedback in to hello at iampodcast.co.uk and I will very, very much enjoy looking at them and seeing where it takes us. I'm Johnny Wilkinson. 
This is the I Am Podcast with Angie Tawari. Angie Tawari, thank you very, very much for joining me on this podcast. What a pleasure. So excited to chat to you about so much stuff I really don't know anything about. So uh, that's going to be cool. How, How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, the I Am podcast is about human potential and ultimately just potential. So it goes wherever it needs to go in the conversation. And I think the topic of of yoga and and as we're going to maybe hopefully get into the breath and everything like that, I think it's as expansive as anything could possibly be. So I'm excited to stretch it and see whatever is there. But from your perspective, how did you first get into all of this, into the yoga and the yogic sort of practice? So... When I was growing up, I remember my mum teaching me certain yoga postures, yoga asan, and my sister and I thought they were really cool. But it was never in the way of we're going to sit down and do yoga or we're going to go to a yoga class now. It was just kind of ingrained in our childhood, ingrained in our culture. I'm from a South Asian background. My parents are both Indian. So I saw that from my mum. She would teach us not only the yoga asana, the yoga postures, but also pranayam, which is breathing techniques, ways to alter your breath to get into a different state of mind, a different state of being. And then I saw from my grandparents and from both my parents as well, this devotion to something higher, which was part religion, but part spirituality. And I have a really vivid memory of my grandma coming over to the UK and she took me to church And I remember asking her, well, why are we going to church? Because we're Hindu. That was my confusion as a child. And her response was, it doesn't matter where you go. It's getting into a spiritual state and of a place of belief. And I think that really is what yoga is. It's a pathway to spiritual enlightenment. It's a pathway to freedom. Of course, it's also a practice. There was something that kept drawing me back, even though I thought the, the, the slower restorative poses were boring. I thought meditation was pointless. I had things to do. I was in gyms in my early 20s. I hated it. Oh, I know it's good for me. I need to do some stretching from going spinning and doing my cardio combat. So it kept drawing me back. And then I went through a challenging time in my life with, there were three big things that had happened, breakup, moving into a new place, leaving my job. So three big things that rocked me and made me feel really unstable. And in that time, I was more consistent with my practice and that is when I had a breakthrough and a revelation that there was something so much deeper and stronger to this that brought tears to my eyes. I couldn't explain it but I just felt it and it was a blessing that I didn't have that job because I thought even though I had that revelation October 2017, maybe November 2017, I, that December, went over to India to do my teacher training. And that is when it all changed for me. It gave me an opportunity to observe and to realise and to notice how I was showing up in the world and what was happening within me. And that journey has just continued from there. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. There's a couple of things I wanted to latch onto there straight away. Perhaps one was when you talk about that breakthrough moment, there were two things you mentioned there. One was a degree of kind of suffering. And also the crisis moments where you really do feel completely stuck and it's all going haywire. It's terrible, but afterwards you kind of miss it because it brings such an intense guidance because you do suddenly devote 
it's a bit I've heard it spoken about in several ways you know when you when you there's something you really need in life for for your physical survival it's amazing you know if you're even if you're just out on the street and you're kind of like we need to get out of this storm you become so focused in terms of how do I do this and I think in that place of suffering for me I found myself with that immense devotion that wasn't really there in those moments where everything's pretty cool you mentioned coming over to here your own experience with yoga in the studios and everything I'm interested to what the western side of yoga and its interpretation looked like to you especially coming from a background where you saw this higher devotion within your family and it was spoken about not as that kind of studio practice you know, you said you mentioned, I, I laughed when you said I had other things to do than meditation. I mean, this is classic. If I'd spoken to myself when I was 21, mm. I wouldn't even got the first word out. It I would have been shut out the room. It's like, what's, what good is this? Is that something you see that people are beginning this because it is just for something more simple, you know, like stretching or just a bit of time to yourself? I think there are so many different elements to the practice of yoga. But to your point around how the Western form of yoga is different. It's a bit more diluted. It's a bit more on the surface level where we do think that is more of a postural practice. I don't think anyone should be condemned for wanting to come to yoga to get more flexible at all. Like I said, that is how I came and rediscovered the practice. And then I ended up leading into really learning more about the benefits of lying still and the huge changes and transformative healing effects that you can have in certain techniques that I think from the outside look a little bit boring because mm. you can't you can't take a photo of a deep healing meditation but you know it's happened and that's where the beauty lies people think of yoga and they generally think the postures and flexibility and contorting your body into a different shape it's the number one thing that people tell me when they hear that I teach yoga run yoga retreats the first thing they say is I'm really bad at yoga it's, the, it's just so negative from the get-go. And then what they mean is, I'm not very flexible. And also people will ask, oh, who's, who's good in your yoga class? Or how good am I at yoga? Why do we feel that we have to be good at yoga? Especially because people come to yoga class once and then they often think that they're so, so inflexible that they never return again. I don't see it in anything else. I don't see anyone else go to a spin class or do a run and then come back and say, I'm really bad at running. You've gone on one run. Like, were you expecting to, to be able to run a marathon on the first attempt? So it's a practice, it's a dedication, and there's more elements to it than just the poses. So if you are not able-bodied, if the posture of the practice does not appeal to you, you could explore things like meditation. If sitting still in a meditation does not appeal to you because you have a busier mind, you can keep trying at that and see how it's making you feel and what emotions are coming to the surface, what suffering are you noticing? Or you could do a dynamic meditation. You could do a movement meditation. You could practice a breathing technique. You could practice a breathing technique alongside chanting, which is a form of a breathing technique anyway. So there's so many different elements of the practice that you can dive into that is important to say so that people don't feel that it's not for them because it's for human beings, ultimately. It's not for one religion. It's not for whether you consider yourself spiritual or not. None of that really matters. We all would benefit from the practice of yoga, but it is about finding which element really resonates with you. And if there's an element that you do find particularly challenging, take it up as your challenge. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity to do so. 
That's it's funny that we're quite good at turning everything into a bit of a competition, a bit of a comparison sort of thing, aren't we? You know, and, and that puts us all off a little bit. Look how good someone else is. And you mentioned showing it off to the world. It's really funny. I've sort of thought this before in, in a sporting background, from a sporting background, people talk about being in the zone. But actually, if you take a photo of someone, you can't see that they're in the zone. And actually what they're doing, isn't that impressive? Perhaps there's a degree of flow to it and a little bit of effortlessness and, and a sense of expanded vision, maybe, but you can't see any of that. It's totally internal. That's really, really interesting. And I think that, that, like you said, is one of the, maybe the big turning points that's been for me is initially in that youthful side, it was hugely about look what I can do. And actually from my perspective now, in terms of performance and coaching, it's so much about everything's defined by what it looks like first. I might do a simple drill with someone to say, right, we're going to kick this ball and you're not going to look where it goes, but you're going to tell me how great it was according to how it feels. You're just going to talk to me about it, how it feels. Mm. And they kick the ball and they don't know what to say. And so they quickly look at it and then they tell me what it's like, what it feels mm -hmm. like. They have to see it to tell me what it feels like. It's yeah. almost like you don't trust it. And it's, it's really, really interesting. So you, you, when you're in that state of now, for example, I mean, now might be a bit, a bit of a, a different question. Going back to when you were younger and you're doing yoga at the beginning, I'm really interested when you're talking about just the practice. You do the practice, you do the practice. Because if you go in a gym and do weights, for example, you can see quite quickly your, your, your weights are going up, you're getting stronger. Whereas, and I guess when you said, mentioned about going to yoga for the flexibility, you can see maybe you're getting more and more flexible. But in terms of that internal thing, I'm not sure it necessarily kicks in like that. You don't get that iterative, progressive, oh, I'm getting a little bit more aware. Yeah. But it holds that power to suddenly just open up in some way. What is it that kept you going there? You mentioned about that pull. And also, how did that magical side, I know you mentioned during the suffering, but do you think that's a big issue for people? People are looking for that kind of, why hasn't this happened to me yet? Yoga hasn't given me that thing it's supposed to give me. I think it's partially that maybe the expectations are too high and we're not very patient as human mm. beings. And patience is actually a really big one for me. I'm, I'm still deal with being impatient and learning how to become more and more patient. I think maybe it is over expectations, but I also think it could be, and a lot of people struggle with the idea of yoga being a spiritual practice and not identifying with being spiritual. And I think for me, the issue is around what we as human beings consider a person who is spiritual looks like, what they eat, <laughs> how much money they earn, all this kind of stuff. And there's all these connotations of what it means to be spiritual. And then we disassociate from it. But I think that actually spirituality needs to exist in every aspect of our life. It needs to exist in, in that corporate space as much as it needs to exist all over. So I think if you don't think you're spiritual and you think it's a little bit of a, in inverted commas, woo-woo practice, then it's probably easy to disregard it. I think it's becoming harder and harder to do so because of the scientific research, especially into things like breath work. It's become a lot more popular recently, even though it is an ancient practice. Many ancient traditions have done breath work for centuries. It's becoming more popular. There's more scientific research. And so for the people who are a little bit more science-minded, there is the backing to showcase exactly why it's beneficial to do these practices. 
And what are you going to see out of it? Actually, what's happening in your body physically when you're breathing in a particular way or when you're doing a certain yoga posture? To answer your question, I don't know what the pull was that drew me back in and then out and then back in over a five-year period of having that real love-hate relationship. The hate relationship was the ego. I was so... I mean, I am very competitive anyway, but I was so horribly competitive in a yoga practice. I would look at the person next to me, think really mean, mean things about them and in my head just insult them because they were able to do a yoga pose that I couldn't do. And now I have the ability to go to a practice and really know that it's my own practice. And maybe on that day, I'm really, really wobbly and my core is just not holding for me and I'm practicing with my breath. But Sometimes your progress, even from a physical perspective in yoga, is not linear. And one day you can get into a particular posture that's that's really challenging. And the next day you're wobbling all over the place and you have no idea why. But I can be patient and kind to myself now where I wasn't able to back then. So I don't know what drew me back. But it was probably the times when I did love it and I felt alive and energized and just blissful in a blissful state. It was those times that probably kept drawing me back, even though I was wary to go into a practice. But I'm so grateful for whatever it was that was pulling me back because since that breakthrough and then going to India and doing the training, my life has gone in a completely different direction than it would have gone in because I wouldn't have changed the course of my life. And I still have to watch my emotions and I still have to do the the uncovering of, oh, okay, that's made me feel this way. But that's the beauty of the practice is when you can actually put it, put it into practice and apply it. The awareness part is calling out to me from what you're saying there for some reason, because I think without the awareness, it takes that, I think, initial hit of suffering to grab your awareness. Because it's almost like for me anyway, it's like, I'm not really aware of what's going on. I'm so outward driven I'm still looking at everything else. Everyone else is to blame. Everything's making me feel this way. Everyone should be different. Everything should change for me. I need it to be this way for me to be happy, et cetera, et cetera. And there's none of that internal awareness. But then when suffering hits and it gets to a certain level, that awareness is forced, I think, to appear. Yeah. And then and then after that, for me, the, the difference has been just in my life is that with that sort of internal focus and the awareness and the sensitivity and that the expanding sensitivity i don't so much need the suffering to maintain the momentum of that to have the guidance because i'm just kind of more and more aware mm. of what's going on. like you mentioned you know the patience kicks in or you wake up and you're just like okay I, i'm not feeling so good today i don't know why but i'm just going to be aware of it and i mean i don't know what i would have got up to when i was mm. young but sure enough someone else is going to wear that frustration that awareness part's really really powerful and, and the question i was like to sort of ask people is such a difficult one is how do you build that awareness? You know, like you said, the suffering here, have you just found for you going to India now you're just so much more internally focused. So yes, you may see you don't have patience, but do you catch yourself now before you have those outbursts? Yeah. And you have a different way of looking at those thoughts. Now, when you have a negative thought about someone, like you said, that kindness, do you put that all down to this growth and awareness? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it's practice. It's not, you do a course on awareness and then suddenly you're aware. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was so simple, but it's not, it is practice. I've, I've got a really great example of, I was 
on a holiday with my boyfriend at the time in Macedonia, North Macedonia in 2019. And we hired bikes from the hotel and we went cycling. And my boyfriend at the time is my husband now, um, Alistair. He, he goes cycling regularly on his bike on the roads in London. So he knows how to cycle far better than I do. And we're cycling up a hill and he's quite a way ahead of me. And I started getting very annoyed at him. And then I, I so quickly paused and was watching what the inner dialogue was. And the inner dialogue was telling me, he's really good at cycling. He's cycling so fast. He's not waiting for me. I'm really far behind. He was shouting back at me, are you okay? Do you want me to slow down? I'm like, no, because I'm really competitive. Like, I'm fine. Like, leave me to, you know. <laughs> and I watched how my mind was was portraying him in a really negative light. He's honestly the kindest man ever. He's just the best. I know that all that stuff I was making up about him in my head was coming from the fact that I didn't feel like I was doing a good job and I was projecting it onto him. And if you think about that, if you thought that way for every argument, you'd never have an argument because you realise that what you're doing is creating this little mini movie where you're the good person and you're the victim as well in some way because you just kind of want, I wanted sympathy. I kind of wanted to slow down. I was so tired, but I also didn't want to because I'm very competitive. And yeah, and then what was so nice is that I was able to reason with myself during that, you know, that whole cycle ride then became a, a, a conversation with myself between between the one that wanted to play victim and kind of hate on Alistair. And then the one that was like, hang on a minute, he's not doing anything. Like you're just like, you you take it in your own time. You just, it's all good. And then I was eight, when we stopped, I was like, do you know what just happened? And I could tell him everything in quite a jovial manner and say, I was thinking all this about you. And that I think is a really good example. For me, that made me think that the practice is working because it's in those moments when you're not on your yoga mat, when you're not on your cozy meditation cushion and a retreat. It's in those moments where you can apply the practice and be aware of it. But I would say conversely, only the other day I was having a situation where I was telling myself that this person had done this, this and this, and that's why I feel this way. They've made me feel like this. So of course there are times where I dip into victim mentality, but it takes me less time now to take a moment to stop and think, what is this teaching me? What is the lesson? Where do I hold responsibility? Because it's my responsibility how I decide to respond. And it's my responsibility about how this affects me and whether I allow it to affect me. I can still feel sad. I can still feel angry or whatever these emotions are, but I can be the my own voice of reason. And ultimately, it, it, for me, it's underpinned by trusting in something that's bigger, trusting in this is happening for some reason. And I might not know what it is right now, but it's always worked out. I tr- I just trust that this is the way that it's meant to be. And then for that person that I'm thinking negatively about because they've made me feel X, Y, Z, I do forgiveness work for that person. And I, when I know I don't want to do it is when I have to do it. And I'll visualize that person in front of me and I'll say, I forgive you. And I'll also then visualize myself and I'll say, I forgive myself. And I'll do work on that because that's been really transformative for me. So it's trying to apply lots of different practices. It's not just one. And I think it is an experience exploration as to what works for you as well 
Yeah, wow. I had someone say not long ago that we're all going to react. The question is, how long are we going to react for? Because exactly. those reactions can take away your entire life. They can become who you are if you let them hang on long enough. So uh, that really goes well. And some of what you're saying there also sounds like it's kind of like a contemporizing of yoga when you're saying it's the off the mat stuff. I know in, it's been it's spiritual practice in the West. It's, I know Eckhart Tolle described it as being relationships for the West as their spiritual practice. You know, that's enough right there to for your work to last forever. But the contemporizing of it in that way, like you said, you talking about a spiritual practice on a bike ride is really important, I think. And and the up, it's not necessarily updating. It doesn't need updating. It's, it's, it's boundless and infinite. But, but the fact that it can become something that resonates more with today's generations in their lives and the lives that we're living, it, I think that's something that maybe it feels to me that you might be representing really sort of authentically is, is it, yes, you, you work in a job, you have your dreams, you want to go on, you know, for me, example, you go on holidays, you want to do these things and you have goals and ambitions, you're competitive and sure, but underneath it, it, there's that anchor, which, you know, when you're, when you start to leave, you can feel it and coming back to that, but that can, that sort of contemporary reframing of it, I think is really, really powerful. Yeah. And the application as well, because I think to, to, we were talking earlier about yoga and gyms. A lot of people would say, I'd never go to yoga in a gym because it's just so noisy. You can hear the beats outside, hear people dropping their weights. That is the best place to go and do a yoga practice because that is what life is like. There's always distractions, like someone's dropping something on the floor or some crazy things going on and you need to, you need to focus. So of course it's, potentially not for everyone but of course it could be a little bit easier to meditate with really calm music where you can't hear anything else or maybe in complete silence or whatever it might be but when you're thrown those distractions in life that is the biggest test and one thing I do really try and do and thank you for saying that 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 I'm trying to teach this authentically is bring all these amazing ancient traditions but how do you apply it now how do you how do you bring it to today and how do you make it work for you in your life? Because you may not have time to do 45 minutes of yoga every single day, but the regular consistent practice, forget duration, forget how long you need to do it for. Even if you did five minutes, three minutes of stretching and then one minute of a breathing technique and a one minute of reading some yoga philosophy, five minutes every day for a week and you'll see the difference. And I think that's what it is. It's about a consistency to your practice as opposed to trying to do 45 minutes or an hour, knowing that you can't fit it in and then not doing it at all. Well, you mentioned about that conscious ability to respond. And when that's in play, I guess you can look at what we are willing to consistently devote ourselves to during our day you know just daily for me when I was much younger daily I'd be blaming everyone and if that was my training I was repping that out so many times no wonder I got so good at it you know my negativity I was I was hammering that if I was in the negative gym I was in it all the time Mm -hmm. but when you have that decision making capacity to say how do I want to live my life how do I want to live my day how am I going to choose to do it then there is the choice to say, right, I'm going to spend this time. And Mm. like you said, no matter when your mind says, oh, no, I can't today, there's not enough time and I've had too much of this, maybe that's the time to say, no, now's the most important time to do it. 
you know, yeah. when I'm in that space. It's it's funny you said inner voice. And then I think there's also the mind voice. And the mind voice is the nagging one, the one you hear all the time. That yeah, inner that's voice a difference. A big difference. Yeah. And and the inner voice springs up on you and it just suddenly appears. And and it for me anyway, it doesn't really doesn't really have any kind of face or 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 kind of identity. It just comes out of nowhere, as that mind voice definitely does. The, the trust thing's really interesting because we mentioned about kicking the balls again. Sometimes when someone's about to kick a ball, you, you mentioned also about that kind of imagine yourself having trust. And even just the simplest question of saying, look, if you already knew this was going to turn out beautifully, how would you go about it? And it almost you do just become your ideal self. Yes, you still engage and you still give it everything, but you do so in the most just effortlessly grateful and beautiful way. When I see people do that, when they they give into that trust, something happens in their posture as well. There's an innate intelligence that comes with that connection to real trust. And I wonder if, if, if now would be a good time for you to let me in on some of this stuff around the breathing what it's meant to you and what that's revealed, because I know you were talking about breathing and holding postures and how the two are inextricably linked and, and kind of uh, hugely dependent. I, I just wondered, how would you start a conversation about breathing in yoga with about its importance and what it is? The breath is a practice to change our state. And that's your physical state. That's your emotional state. That's your mental state. It's free. It is free <laughs> and it's such a easy tool to use. But there's a difference that happens in the brain. A different part of the brain is, is stimulated and activated when we are sitting down, focusing consciously on our breath. Let me ask you, what happens to your breath if you notice it when you're feeling panicky or a little bit anxious or you're kind of overwhelmed? Yeah, shallower, faster. Um, feels sort of tighter, higher, maybe. Yeah, I find I, I th- there's that in the panicky side of things as well. But mm-hmm. in another way, I, I've I've have been very aware when I've been when I was playing my sport, I would hold my breath as well. Okay. Other times, and then I would release it really heavily through my cheeks. So I'd see myself on the field on the video afterwards, kind of constantly with these full cheeks of breath, holding and then releasing fully and then holding again until almost like the danger had gone or whatever it was but certainly in that panicky state yeah fast and 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 shallow and yeah and and sort of almost desperate in a way Mm. yeah that's a signal that you're in the sympathetic nervous system so what's so perfect with the breath is that it will tell you how you're feeling even if you haven't quite figured that out yet for Mm. yourself and so in times in your day you can notice when you're in a state of stress. The holding the breath is a perfect example. If you've got a stressful email from someone at work, be aware of your breath and you might be holding it and be aware of your body because you also might be clenching your hands and kind of shoulders are up there. And it comes back to, we talked about it earlier, but awareness and consciousness, there's a Sanskrit word for that, which is chip. And when we're conscious and we're aware, we can check in with how we're physically responding and that's physically in the body but also through our breath what we're doing it's a great way to figure out how a person in your life is making you feel when you get a a message from someone or when you're around people how do you feel do you feel calm and relaxed and the breath is kind of steady and slow it's maybe more into the belly area or is it short sharp shallow and you're feeling a little bit more panicky 
But what's amazing with the breath is that it it can create shifts in you and you can do it absolutely anywhere. Of course, if you're practicing certain yoga postures, you need to have space on the floor. If you are doing a meditation, you may want to do it in a quiet space. You could actually do a meditation anywhere. But the breath is something that incorporates both into a meditation as much as it's incorporated into a physical practice. You can do it on the bus. I was actually on the bus the other day in the summer. It was one of those days where it's like 35 degrees, mm. you know, when we have that crazy heat wave in the UK. And there's an amazing breath. It's an ancient pranayama, a breathing technique called shitali. And it's a breath to cool you down. And I was sitting on the bus doing this breath to cool me down because I'd run out of water. And I was, I was, you know, when you get too hot that your heart rate starts going up. And I used it for that. Conversely, there's a breathing technique that you can do called Ujjayi Pranayam, which translates as deep, victorious breath. And it's a kind of hissing noise that it makes at the back of your throat. And it's a heating breath. It warms you up. So if you're too cold, and that's a breath that you can do. So there's so many different ways for you to alter the breath. In a, it, it depends on how it is that you're feeling. And it's such an empowered place to be. Because what people don't realize is, I asked you the question on how you feel when you're anxious and panicky. And you responded with how your breath is, which shows it's in the sympathetic nervous system, which basically means your nervous system's a little bit dysregulated. It just means that you've got more cortisol running through you, more adrenaline, you're ready to fight or flight, you're ready to go, like you mentioned, threatened. You're kind of, you're not going to be thinking about digesting food or going to sleep because you've got to get up and run. Conversely, the parasympathetic nervous system, which we get from our long, slow, deep breaths, is great to do before sleeping. That's going to help you get into a more calm, relaxed, slower state. That's going to help you not only digest your food better, but it will also help you have a deep night of sleep. So what people don't realize is not only is that relationship going from your mental activity to your breath, but it's a two-way relationship. So if right now I was to say to you, okay, Johnny, I want you to breathe almost like you're hyperventilating, breathe short and sharp and shallow. (laughs) You might notice that your heart rate starts elevating and your mind starts going a little bit. And similarly, if we said, right, let's slow it down, let's drop the shoulders, let's breathe in through our nose, out through our mouth, in through our nose, exhale through your mouth. You might feel that mentally, kind of feel like you've pressed a reset button. So it's a two-way relationship. And understanding that means that when you feel that your mental state is going into overthinking, overdrive, overwhelm, even overexcitement, anger, jealousy, whatever these emotions are, you have the ability to hijack your internal system and to be your own soother. I think that's, for me, been the most empowering thing. And that's it's a a non-negotiable practice for me because it helps me Not only do I understand myself more by watching the breath, but I can also make a change to my mental state by first making a change to my breath. This is incredible stuff, really, when you think about people are desperate for that. Almost one pill fixes everything for overthinking, for uh, anxiety, for stress, for anger, for resentment, for you not being able to get over the part, whatever it might be, where the thoughts and attention's headed. And what you're talking mm-hmm. about here is is a really central focus that can have enormous benefits. Um, mm-hmm. 
and, and give you so much control over your life and realization that in fact, actually, as much as it seems like a truth that what's happening on the outside or what has happened in the past or what may happen in the future has a certain degree of reality to it for you. Yeah. You can see in your experience that, it, that actually it isn't necessarily true. And you have this, you know, this freedom mm-hmm. by simply being aware of it, but it's a tough one because, you know, I, you I say- You have to put the work in. Yeah. You still yeah. have to put the work in. And we've, we've talked here about nervous system regulation and we've talked about calming yourself down and we've talked about healing, but we haven't talked about another aspect of the breath, which is peak performance, fitness. There's, there's so many studies that show that breathing in and out through your nose in a fitness training increases your endurance, but we're often, often breathing in through the nose and then breathing out through the mouth. So you're breathing in oxygen, but in you're breathing out carbon dioxide and waste. And sometimes you can be breathing out so much through the mouth that you're actually breathing out so much carbon dioxide. You do need some carbon dioxide in your body. And by switching to breathing in and out through your nose, not only can you improve your endurance, but you can also help with your sore muscles the next day. So there's loads of really cool like tips and tricks. So if you're someone that thinks, oh, I'm really chill. I actually do, you know, breath work or it's not really a practice that's going to help me. It's so great for mental focus and, and mental resilience and your fitness training as much as it is for helping you relax. It's so versatile. That's why it's such a powerful thing because you can, everybody can harness the benefits of ch- changing their breath and altering their breath. And you just, it meets you where you're at. And once you, once you know kind of which techniques to do, I would say if you know three off by heart, and we can go through some today, then it's going to help you. And in, in, I can give you three breathing techniques that are going to help you energize if you're feeling really lethargic and really sleepy and kind of depressed and low energy, make you feel really calm and help you sleep better. If you, I don't know about you, but so many people I know get into bed and then suddenly the to-do lists are in their mind and they're thinking about what they've got to do the next day. So to help you have a deeper night of sleep and and then one to kind of heat you up if you're feeling really cold as it's getting towards winter. And, and you know, it's, it's just so so amazing when you when you learn about all the different breathing techniques. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. I'm, I mean, uh, we'll make sure we get those in. The, the other thing I'm really interested in, this is kind of what you're talking about now in terms of performance, just sort of registered on my scale a bit. My my side of things, breath is something I'm getting to later in my journey. It's been a lot more around, you mentioned the physical, the tension, finding that looseness that I find I'm becoming a lot more sensitive to. And that's something that is, is a non, not, yeah, I guess in a way, a bit of a non-negotiable for me is that I can't stop looking at it. And the thing I ask myself a lot is that as I'm walking, I'm kind of like, this is how I want to be walking. It just comes up all the time. Is this how I want to walk? But with, is this how I want to breathe? I'm not quite sure I know the answer to that. You know, what, what's a good breath? And that's maybe why this would be really interesting. But certainly I, I spend, I spend a bit of my time kind of practicing sporting skills because it's a very immediate feedback. You're trying to achieve something, you do it and you get to see the outcome immediately. And my job has become almost to create the internal image and the internal environment, which matches the external and the two line up. So what I have in my head as an intention just seems to happen. And suddenly that started involving the breathing. I wanted to do it all through this kind of looseness and this sensitivity. And suddenly it was really there. But then I found that the breathing was in the way. There's a breathing element that lines up with that kind of whole, this is who I am. And this is what I'm manifesting, that side of things. And so it's right on my radar now. 
The other thing, just before we go into those practices, would be really interesting. It's just something that interests me a lot is about the idea about using breath work that releases something in a way. People finding themselves connecting with old emotions or stored emotions or something. And it seems to be a vehicle for kind of accessing and then purging almost in some way. Um, Now that fascinates me. Is that something that features in your world as well? Yeah. And it's, it's really wild when you see those transformations happen. And I think to be careful, yes, for some people, practicing certain breathwork techniques can help them release and emotionally be aware and then release certain trauma. For other people, there are going to be other techniques that work for you and maybe breathing is not for you. So I think it's not a magic trick and it'll like I said I think the breath will meet you where you're at and what you're ready to release but certainly I've been in rooms where I've seen some you you just can see what's going through people and they're having an absolute release and there's so much emotion and for me that breakthrough moment which was a mixture of the physical practice the meditative side and and breath work within that class there was one class And for me, it was lying on the mat. And for a reason that I couldn't explain, I just started crying and crying and crying and crying. And I'm lying in Shavasana, which translates as the corpse pose. It's the final pose of a physical practice. And I'm just honestly bawling my eyes out. And I've had more experiences like that since. And I cannot explain to you why. And, but there's something that's been released. And I can't tell you what it is. And I'm not even feeling sad. I'm not feeling sad, but I'm crying, crying, crying. I've honestly had moments where I've walked downstairs from practicing. My cheeks are completely wet. And it's just, and I love it when I get to that stage because it's just, okay, something's been unlocked. I don't even need to figure out what it is. There's just something that this emotion lived within me and I've been able to release it. So yes, absolutely. Breathing techniques can help you do that. The other thing to say is that 80% of us are breathing in a dysfunctional manner. 80% of us breathing dysfunctionally. So if you're listening to this, you might be in that 80%. And if that means that your breath is more short, sharp and shallow, it might be because there's something that your body's holding on to that's not allowing you to take yourself to a place of safety into that regulated nervous system and allow yourself to breathe deeper. So in a breathing technique where you are breathing deeper or you're doing a shorter breath to kind of bring emotions up to the surface, that's why sometimes these deep emotions or trauma or something that you might not be able to put a name on can come up because you're altering the way that your breath is in a way that you haven't done before because we're so used to breathing in the way that we do because we don't think about it because it's something we do unconsciously. So it's it's habits that we get into as well. It's it's astonishing because it makes almost perfect sense when you look back and think in those, especially in the formative years, I had a real sense of doom and fear around me the whole time. And now I can remember certain instances of, of just absolute panic and shock. And of course, to a young mind, that may be a, a hard stop is placed there that says, okay, from this moment on, I see the world as not necessarily entirely safe anymore. And therefore, beyond that line, there is physical tension. There's a breathing stop. There's a thought pattern. There's habits, as you say. And that makes perfect sense that if it's unchecked and unexplored, that breathing may just function itself within that smaller area. 
happily. And we're so adaptive in the way that we are able to get on anyway. You know, you see an injury and people just kind of find their way around it and they compensate elsewhere or whatever it is. But I find that fascinating. It does, it does make so much sense that, that it has to be explored rather than just this idea that it can all just be done by working out what was the event and what we thought it meant and how, which is all very powerful as well. But yeah. Another thing that is lovely way to use the breath. And I try and do this with, with friends and family is watching other people's breath because it will reveal what is stressing them out. And I'm sure you've been in a situation where someone's maybe asked you, how's that thing going? We talked about last time, or you might ask a friend or how's work going? And their response is, well, and it's a big sigh. But then they might go on to say, well, yeah, you know, actually, yeah, it's all fine. But because you've heard that long sigh, you're able to understand your loved ones better because taking a bigger sigh is your body's way of trying to get back into a regulated nervous system. So taking a bigger exhalation, a longer breath out, gets us into a more relaxed state. Whether we know that, from a brain perspective or not, deep down internally, we do know that. And so that's why we're taking that, that longer sigh. So it's also a lovely way to connect in with someone. If you're hearing someone is sighing, go and make them a cup of tea because they need it. Give them that extra hug because what, whether they're saying it to you verbally or not, it's a form of reading body language. It's, you know, listen to their tone, watch their body language and listen out for their breath. Wow. I think it's, it's, it's really exciting for, for me as well because to feel you have a bit more responsibility in terms of as you mentioned learning maybe some of these techniques you're, you're telling us about because I find it difficult as a parent when you see your your child has a bit of a an emotional reaction with something and you think okay this is all part of it and allow them to 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 explore that and express it fully but you sort of think I don't I don't want that to limit you in the future and it's difficult because wherever you, whatever you try and do, you're almost just probably where you might be thinking you're doing good there. You're probably sort of harming over here. Do you know what I mean? You, whatever you give, it's going to have limits to it. But that breathing idea, it just is, like you said, it's a reset button. It's almost regaining the, and this is what the whole podcast is about. I think essentially is that sense of, of reclaiming innate infinite possibility about who you are and about how life can be and, and I think that goes and, and is given away often unconsciously and physically you mentioned it you know when we find ourselves in certain postures we that use it or lose it idea we lose that flexibility and that mobility and that extra range that was part of who you know watch my little one when they just sit down you think how are you sitting like that? How is that not painful? <laughs> you know, it, my eyes water looking at you sitting like that. And yet you can sit there all day and you move and you, you twist and you, and you sort of think, geez, that's, that's precious. But then so is the breathing, mm. the depth of breathing to not give that away. And I think all of that holds such possibility. Yeah. And I think for anyone who's listening and feels scared because this conversation has maybe made them aware of their breath and realize that they hold their breath all the time or they are predominantly breathing more short and sharp and shallow and up into the chest area and therefore they're in that state of stress. This is all good stuff because you're aware now. So it has to start with the awareness of your breath. And instead of feeling fearful that, 
oh no, this is my habit. It's empowering to realize, okay, well, this is my habit. And so how, how can I practice to, to change this? And it's not to speak badly of that sympathetic nervous system. We have to be in that fight or flight every now and again, otherwise we wouldn't get anything done. We wouldn't get up in the morning, but it's about that balance. And, you know, for optimal respiratory health, we're, we're balancing the oxygen and the carbon dioxide levels in our body at all times. And knowing that we have a part, we have a conscious part. How cool is that? It's it's so cool. And it's the stuff that if they taught you that in biology class in school, you'd be like, wow, that's that's so cool because it's not just the breath, it's it's your emotions. It's and then your emotions are how you do everything in your life and how you respond and if you have a good day or a bad day. Yeah, exactly. I think like you've mentioned as well, just that unless you're aware of something, you can't do anything about it. It's it's the first and perhaps the only real step for change is that you become aware of something and then it's then it's yours to you know, to explore i think that's really really powerful yeah I, I i heard the breath i heard someone mentioned talking about the breath just saying that it was a really important thing in the spiritual tradition because it is something that happens automatically but it's also something that we have an involvement and engagement with as well and therefore being able to cross over that line where there's automatic and us is kind of like a, a very sort of i guess privileged space if you like for that conscious view you know, to, to become conscious of something where there's already a, a, a working mm. talking about people maybe recognizing or noticing their breathing i said something then i wasn't sure whether to ask a question or just see if you had something to say and there was a brief pause and you said to anyone out there you might be holding their breath and i just <laughs> i was holding mine <laughs> i was holding mine because i was like is she going to answer? Should I say something? So yeah, it's really cool. Even I'm on that awareness track now as we speak. Yeah, so that, that's, it's, it's, that's awesome. It's self-discovery. It's self-awareness and you get to know yourself better. And like I said, it's, I think it's a fantastic thing when you get to know yourself better and feel positive about being able to make the changes and know that it's a practice and it does take time. But the awareness to it in the same way as that I have still have frustration as an emotion or anger as an emotion but how long do I hold on for that? How long do you hold your breath for? It's the same thing. It's how long do you do something before you realize and are aware of it? And the next time you're holding your breath, you'll be quicker to realize and quicker to shift it or quicker to analyze, okay, well, why was I holding my breath? Maybe I was in a state of a state of stress or a state of fear. And then again, making sure that you're not having that in, in a dialogue to kind of overthink that. And I think what you said as well about the but this is ancient wisdom, right? Like ancient traditions have been doing this for centuries. And one of the most interesting things I think is that there's there are these ancient texts, which are centuries old, called the Upanishads from ancient India. And they talked about how your nose is just amazing. So they talk about the, the nostril dominance. So sometimes you're breathing through the left nostril and then you're breathing through both. And then you're breathing through the right. This is for people who can breathe in and out through the nose, because there are some people who for example, have a medical condition, which means they can only breathe in through their mouth. But if you can breathe through your nose, you're alternating between the two. And then you have a period of time breathing through both. And the ancient yogis called that left nostril breathing uh, was the Ida Nadi. And Ida means in Sanskrit, comfort. And Ida is linked to lunar energy. And Nadi actually translates as a Sanskrit word, it translates into river. So, but it, but it means channel. So Idanadi, your left nostril, is that lunar energy channel. And then Pingalanadi is your right nostril. And Pingala means orange. So that's associated with your solar energy, so the sun. And then when you're breathing through both, you've activated Shushumna Nadi. And Shushumna literally means very gracious, so very gracious channel. 
And that's kind of running down your spinal cord. And so the ancient yogis talked about this ages ago. And they also talked about how when you're breathing in through your left nostril, you are connecting in with your right side of your brain. So the opposite side. When you're breathing in through the right, you're connecting in with the left side of the brain. That's all proven. And I think there was there was a gentleman that won a Nobel Prize for that theory, like right, left, in the 80s, in the 1980s. And this is all... So some of the stuff <laughs> that the ancient yogis talked about was just wild. You don't know how they yeah. knew things that but they that, knew. Exactly. How on earth do you have access? They're like the stars, the astral kind of intelligence, understanding yeah. all this stuff. When, when there was no telescopes, no. there's no anything. You just... But also this is astonishing for me because... I look back now at, at school and education for me and, and you learn about history, stories about what happened and it's, and it's brilliant. You learn languages, it's great, but people don't learn about how they stand and how you mm. breathe. People don't look at focus and concentration, understanding even how thinking might take place. And to be arriving at this at... 40 years old or whatever for me and kind of going left nostril, right nostril, right nostril, what? Yeah, this is, this is immense an <laughs> opportunity. I've been breathing all my life. I, I mean, you breathe through one and not the other. I'm like, what on earth, what's going on? It's like astonishing that this, this is something I think that it just is it, such an opportunity going forward. And speaking of opportunities, is now a time you mentioned about sort of giving us a, a, a bit of a, a few techniques. Those would be really handy. Yeah. But I think they'd definitely be powerful for people listening. Absolutely. I think on the topic of nostril dominance, <laughs> we can all check now which nostril is more okay. dominant by okay. just closing off one nostril and, and kind of breathing in and seeing which one feels a bit clearer than the other. My right's more dominant. So your right nostril is is that's connecting in with that solar energy. And to be honest, it makes sense. I know it is quite late in the evening when we're recording this. So we should really probably have the left one a bit more dominant because the lunar energy is about slowing down. But we've had a very exciting conversation yeah, that we're clearly yeah, both quite passionate about. And so that's that creative energy in the right nostril. So that's a really great thing to do. You can also, this is like a wild, a wild little hack. You can place your hand under the opposite armpit. And this is because scientifically there are there are Things in your armpit, that's not the, that's not the scientific word, yeah. but there's, there's something in your armpit that connects in with your nostril. So if you place, I'm placing my right hand under my left nostril, that will open the opposite nostril. So actually what I want to do is place my left hand under my right armpit yeah. to open my left nostril. And you kind of hold it there for a while. And this again is an ancient yogic technique to change the dominance of your nostrils if in 20 minutes time I want to go to bed and get into a more <sighs> slow state so it's wild that kind of stuff so that's one cool thing that you could do wow um let's talk about going to sleep yeah. a lot of people struggle with sleep and you might have an elevated heart rate your breath rate might be fast you might be overthinking you might just not feel tired so check which nostril is dominant do the do the under the armpit trick if that's not working for you there's two things i want you to remember if you're lying in bed at 3am in the morning or if you just can't sleep and you're in bed at 9pm doesn't matter what time it is the first one is what we talked about earlier which is when you take a longer exhalation like a big sigh that is something that gets you into the parasympathetic nervous system the state of rest and digest so you inhale for maybe the count of one or two and you exhale for maybe three or four or five or six. So you're making the ratio bigger on the exhalation. So we'll try that now. Breathe in mm. for the count of two. Exhale for four. 
Inhale for two. Exhale four. So a longer exhalation. So that's one thing. The second thing is trying to get away from that short, sharp breath where it's more up into the chest. And a lovely way of doing this is placing hands on your lower belly and trying to visualize. Visualization is, is again, we can have a whole nother podcast on Mm. visualization and the benefits of that. And again, ancient practice, but also lots of scientific backing. If you place your hands on your belly, we live in a world where we want to have a you know a flat tummy and suck your tummy in, and we wear clothes that that zip us in. I want you to actually think about letting your belly inflate. You can't breathe into your belly. I can't send the breath into my stomach literally, but if you're visualizing it and you're having a deeper breath and you're letting your belly inflate upwards and outwards, you're breathing into your diaphragm. You're less into that short, sharp, shallow. It's more into that again, regulating your nervous system, calming yourself down, getting yourself ready for sleep. So those are the two things if you can't sleep and you're struggling. Oh, wow. Longer exhalation and into the belly. Yeah. Wow. And don't and a bit of armpit work as well, if you fancy it. Bit of armpit work. A little bit of <laughs> armpit work. <laughs> Very um, cool. Conversely, if you are really lethargic and you need an energizing breath, and this is not one that you should do if you have high blood pressure or if you're pregnant, but it's an ancient practice called Kapalabhati which literally translates as skull shining. So it's said to activate this frontal cortex of your brain. And you're basically forgetting about the inhalation. The inhalation is going to happen on its own accord. And you're forcefully exhaling through your nostrils. So it's like this. Now, what tends to happen is people want to move their whole body and the shoulders are going. So you try to keep the whole rest of the body still. While you're forcefully exhaling through the nostrils, your tummy muscles are pulling up and in. So not only is this a breathing technique, but it's also a bit of a core work and get the abs switched on. So that's why you're you're kind of internally getting everything going. So that's a great one to do. Do you want to so, try so, it? So, so you're, you're exhaling there. Mm-hmm. The breath in, the, the breath in that you're talking about happening very just naturally on its own it's very short yes because you're you're trying to exhale it out so whatever comes back in you're just going to keep exhaling yeah and it's a really it's a really subtle breath as well so that's really interesting i can't even feel the breath coming back in it's wild. It's, I'm almost it? like, but why haven't I that. run out? Why haven't I run out yet? I'm thinking, how is breath coming back in? Okay, yeah. And I can feel the definitely the, 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 core. the sort of tension, the core. Yeah. Wow. All right. Interesting. So, it's a great so one to do in the morning. That's the energizing day going, not day ending so much, but obviously the, the day going, get it moving in the morning. I'm just thinking, yeah, you know, exactly. we never, we never had this kind of stuff around performance you know what I mean you're in a change room before a game and the the intention mm. and the anxiety and the 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 doubt and all this kind of it's it's rife you can feel it when you walk in you know it's an uncomfortable place I've seen people from the corporate world who are there sort of like who are shown around the change room before a game and they happen to walk into a space where maybe they shouldn't be going and they walk in and they want to leave and they don't even see anyone. It's not because they see faces. They walk in, they're just like, this energy is not, it's not for me. And yet we're not given any of these breathing opportunities, you know, this amazing opportunity to say, right, sit and breathe. It's all kind of, okay, it's all physical. Get out there, run, go through what you need to do, rehearse, practice. But there's such yeah. power in this. It has so to when, be. when you're about to play a game or you're about to do like an important kick, and we talked about flow state earlier. Are you consciously aware? Ha- have you implemented breathing techniques when you've been playing before? 
purely down the route of almost slowing down purely the slowing mm. down so just depth that's i mean this is going back in my day now without with without how i would like i said it's becoming on my radar now and coaching is why it's so very interested in what you're saying but definitely in kind of slowing and finding that internal sort of composition that internal environment that that allows you to reach to to to, to have you mentioned it here that central channel being very very sort of upright strong and and solid but the the limbs having that range of movement that looseness that spontaneity and finding that that balance and the the breathing that goes with that it naturally comes down to a, a, a different tempo because as you maintain that looseness as you kind of prioritize that above anything else you can't breathe fast and have that looseness in a way so, you know and what even is the right space because when you've got those feelings of massive nervousness and anticipation and your body's burning do you want to bring it down if you're about to go into yeah. performance or do you want to actually ramp it up you know what are people what works for people i don't know but it's just not being explored definitely not not certainly in in my era i think sometimes that sympathetic nervous system that fight or flight response the high adrenaline the high cortisol can get quite a bad reputation and and obviously i've spoken about it in, in a somewhat negative way but but i think that's because a lot of us are constantly when we don't need to be in that state of stress and high alert but it's still it is important to be in in that state at some times in your life like we said you can't get up in the morning and get on with your day or it's good to have that nervous energy at times I think it's when that nervous energy is creating other symptoms that's impacting your performance and your focus that that's a great opportunity to step in and think oh okay could I alter the breath to get myself back in the zone if it's taken me out of the zone but some people deal really really well in that state but then can they come down from it when it is ready to do the slower things in life and when it is ready to go to bed or just hang out and chill with friends or family it you don't have to be on that kind of high level all the time but i think when people are in the thick of the action especially when they're passionate about what they're doing the sport what have you it's all in there the zone there's something very natural taking place but it's when the game stops and you end up with a very individual moment like a kick where then it's like all eyes on you and it's then that the need is to be as you mentioned completely responsible Mm. for what you're about to do to have total choice and commitment and to find your own tempo so that you can deliver the message perfectly to the ball and this is of course where you need to regain and reset so that extra exhalation I think is is enormous in that just to bring yourself back to a state of saying right now I have that calm composure where I get to choose and and there is something about the beautiful tempo that comes with that kind of breathing I mentioned about sort of me physically skills and just trying to work that like shooting basketballs is, is a brilliant one for this that after a while you settle into a relaxation with it and you're looking you're thinking but I'm doing something physical here but there's this healing and activity taking place at the same time I'm stressing my body and yet I feel like I'm healing at the same time like that active meditation and you have it with people at the end of sessions where they kind of go I've just done an hour's essentially training why do I feel so damn relaxed and good and you kind of I think we live in this space where we hold our breath until we get to the sofa at the end of the day and then you mentioned you get that big exhale you sit down you go oh when actually you can you can sort of stay, I think, one foot in either camp 
during the day mm. you can be fully involved but also fully there at least for for some of it but uh, that's my mind's going mad now with just opportunity opportunity about that new space I want to get it back out there I'm not close enough to a basketball court I need to get back out yeah there. and it's it's to be applied in if you were delivering a big pitch in front of an organization or if you would or even if you were just doing a, a, a small team meeting and you have really bad nerves when you're delivering to a small team even if there's three people in the room it doesn't matter whether there's three people or 300 people how do you regulate yourself so that you can deliver in the most optimal way and also in that process be kinder to yourself because a lot of it is putting pressure on yourself and I think sometimes it's giving yourself that permission to take a moment and go into things with a with a not fresh eyes but with a slightly different perspective rather than feeling the weight of the world on you and obviously there are certain situations with really high pressure and all eyes on you and you are going to feel that but you know yourself better than anybody else and only you know truly what's happening within you and that is a beautiful place to be because then you can help yourself out better than anyone else is able to help you. Yeah, definitely. And and I'm aware that you've got that one more technique about uh, heating up for the winter. So yeah, far away with the third one. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. So heating up for the winter, it is also great if you're heating up before a practice. So obviously do your physical warm-ups, but also in, in our yoga practice, if we're doing a dynamic energizing movements, we would start with Ujjayi Pranayama and we would move through it. And Ujjayi translates as victorious or, or it's, it's oceanic breath. Pranayama is the breathing technique. It's also pronounced pranayama and it's spelt pranayama. I pronounce it pranayama. And this is called an oceanic breath because it kind of sounds like there's an ocean within you. It's a little bit trickier to do. So you kind of imagine like you're making this, this constriction at the kind of back of your throat and you want to keep that noise as you breathe in, as you breathe out. So it sounds a little bit like Darth Vader. So it's like this. So my mouth is closed. I'm breathing in and out through my nose, but I'm really focusing on making a change in the back of my throat to create that noise. It sounds really, really, really weird, I know. And that's why I think a lot of people think, what on earth is that she's doing? But honestly, trust in the process. And and I think it's important to experience it. So do you want to give it a try? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And if you're finding it a little bit trickier to do on the inhalation, you can start by just doing the exhalation like that. I find the inhalation maybe is more suited to me than the exhalation. Okay. I find it the way in, but yeah, that's really cool. Okay. Okay. And the, the practice is just to maintain that and for a certain number of breaths or, or more of a time, or is there a period where you sense a readiness or how does it work in terms of your sensitivity to what, to that how long I usually if I'm doing a just a breathing technique I will usually use a lucky Vedic number which is a lucky number from the Vedas which I use 11 there's also 108 so you could do it 108 times okay. but I use 11 and I find there's another beautiful technique that I really like and after 11 counts I feel like I've been there for 20 minutes but actually it's only been maybe three minutes or so wow. I think about it's about slowing it down and, and watching every breath and being so focused in that it is a meditation because you are 
are you're watching your breath and then you're watching how your body responds and then you're watching and observing what minds are coming up as you're doing a particular technique so I go for 11 I would say go for I would say go for a couple minutes and and sit down and, and be disciplined with your breathing technique and, and with any practice any wellness spiritual practice you do have to be disciplined but I would also say don't get too attached to the duration because if you're really struggling to do five minutes then just try doing three breaths like that and notice and observe and see how you're feeling and then make it longer if you want to incorporate it into a physical practice with a more dynamic practice like ashtanga yoga or like a vinyasa or maybe a hot yoga then you would start with that ujjayi and you would try to maintain it throughout the practice and it's going to help you flow through from one pose to the next to the next we talked all earlier about holding the breath that is something that's going to help not 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 help you it's going to hinder your physical practice so often I'll try a posture I'll notice I'm holding because it's difficult I'll try it again I'll try and really focus on getting my breath to be steady and I can hold that pose in a much more comfortable manner and for longer so yes you would hold it throughout a dynamic practice but there's no reason as to why you couldn't do it if you were sat on your sofa and you just wanted to try it for a few breaths it's brilliant. I think the really important thing that's come from this for me is just being, we spoke about that competition, that comparison thing at the beginning, but also having that expectation as well. You mentioned it's really, really big because for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not a practice that says, oh, you know, you can use me. I think the practice or, or, or what you, the, the force and the, and the, the possibility of dealing with is so immense and the intelligence is so immense is that we have to almost be receptive to however it's going to come. But part of that receptivity is just that trust is just to say, okay, I'm all in. And when you're speaking about these two, three minutes here, five minutes here, it's kind of like, it's, it's so doable. And it's not a case of, oh, well, if I do two minutes, I'll get this. We're so used to that, that narrative. Well, if you do two minutes, you'd get this out. This is all you'll get. But actually it's just, but with that trust and just that, full willingness when you're in it doing it as you mentioned your your life suddenly just blossomed when for you it was just okay just do it because we're so we're willing you know it's suddenly oh, it's 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day but if you watch yourself closely everyone thinks I'm so busy all day but you can find hours of time that you're spent staring at your phone thinking about something, messing around, you know, whatever it is, which yeah, which is all fine, but there is time for this. And if you're not doing this, what are we doing? You know, what 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 else are we are we kind of building if we're not sort of looking at these kind of opportunities? So I, that's really, really cool. And the one thing I wanted to explore just maybe at the end also is that I think the power of this, of yoga is so cool because it seems to, it seems to combine the physical, the mental, the emotional and everything all in one. Whereas I think where we are, we have that psychological side and then we have your physio. So you have these kind of, you're kind of your osteos and your, your physiotherapists. And then you've got your psychologists and your psychiatrists over here. Whereas within that Ayurvedic sort of side of things and with the yogic stuff, it just seems like you go to a specialist and they're, they just see you. They see all of it. And and some of the stuff you've been speaking about, left nostril, right nostril, hand under the armpit, breath in, breath out. 
the precision and the detail that's been constructed by people who have spent how much attention and energy inwards to see in these subtleties. And when you mentioned about a yoga practice being this and flowing into this and doing this and this and this, it's all just so powerfully, I guess, crafted for such specific reasons. And yet we're more willing, I think, to go to someone and take a pill or hook ourselves up to a machine, which is, which is great. You know, if, if that's what works, but this sounds like this has been, I guess, I somehow created by geniuses. Mm, it and is it's there, fascinating. And it's there. It's there for us. Is this for you? Where do you see this going with you? I think it's, it's always a practice. And like I said, only the other day I was in the victim zone of this person's made me feel like this, this and this, and therefore that person is X, Y, Z. And, and then figuring out what part do I have to play? How do I treat that person as a divine being? And how do I do some work to forgive them? Because deep down, I think they've wronged me. So I need to convince myself that I've forgiven them to get myself out of this. And I'm sure there'll be times in the future where I run into those things, where I run into to, to issues around whether it is frustration or feeling a particular way or being impatient or whatever it is. I think it's a, it's a practice that is living. It's not, I've done yoga, tick. <laughs> and, it, and it never yeah. will be. So it's, it's, yeah, always going to evolve for me. And I work at a tech company full time. So my wellness business of yoga, meditation, breath work coach and, and Ayurvedic practitioner is what I think some people call a side hustle. But for people who run side <laughs> hustles, they know that actually it feels like a full time business. Yeah. Um, and I run retreats through that. And I think I get so much from sharing this with people, but I learn so much from those people. I had someone on my last retreat and her face just looked different after we did a breathing technique. And we had done a mixture of, of quite forceful, sharp breathing with um, retention of the breath. So holding the breath and then big exhalation, which can really make you feel so kind of lightheaded and woozy and, and really kind of quite floaty and sparkly and, really wonderful and her face genuinely looked different and when I said I had said it to her later on in that day I said by the way after this morning I just could see this shift in your face and she said no I don't know what happened but I felt this intense shift and I've just never ever experienced anything like that and it was so wonderful to watch that transformation so for me, it's about how can I share these practices in a way that is accessible, that is about doing a breathing technique when you're at your desk. Because I'm at my desk Monday to Friday, nine to five. I'm at my desk. I'm dealing with, with, with the corporate world. And so applying my learnings to that for me is, is a practice. But then sharing tips and tricks for people to incorporate little stretches into their day, a breathing technique when they're on the bus, if you're dealing with anxiety, try this. That That's what I really try and do with the wellness side of my business is to really try and help people know that this is a practice that is for you. And it's not, I think a lot of the yoga industry can feel quite exclusive. It can feel that it's represented by one particular aesthetic. And 
that's why I like bringing it back to the roots, bringing it back to my culture, representing my culture, but also allowing people who feel that it is this elitist practice to know that actually, no, it's for you as much as it is for for everyone who who feels like it's mainly represented, you know? That shift happens when you're ready for it. And I think I think that's the most amazing part of this for me is is that all this potential is available to anyone and it's available right there. All it takes is, is that willingness and that trust, I think. And when you said, you know, I, I know if I walked into a yoga studio now, I would feel that immediate kind of resistance as if to be like, Oh no, I'm used to being competitive, mm. but it, but that's my challenge. And that's my work. It's not their fault for being better in, or for, for being able to do postures that I can't. It's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's my ability to sit in that space and say, well, here we go. Anyway, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going for it. I'm going to open up to it and see what this has for me. Because I guess after all, that's all that's important is it's going to be your experience of life. Yeah, exactly. And everybody comes to these practices when they're in different stages of their life. So everyone's going through their own thing. So it's about being comfortable with where you're at and not having to feel like you've got to be perfect at it. And it's about acceptance as well. So when you walk into a room and you think everyone's looking at you, imagine if there's 30 people in the class and everyone walks into the room, they're all thinking the same thing. So no one's, you know, no one's really looking at you and thinking X, Y, Z. And even if they are, how are you ever going to know that? You're not going to. So there's no point in speculating whether they are or not, because you're the one that's impacted by the thought that you've created in your mind. Yeah, definitely. And and it would be a travesty if if other people and and their views were to, or, or your imagination of their views was to hold you back from all that possibility. And this is such a big challenge for so many people, but there's nothing more powerful, I think, than walking into that vulnerability and just and just opening up to it and just seeing what's there beyond that that limit. I I think it's been so so powerful. I uh, I'm I'm really excited. I'm I'm already planning my pre bedtime breath work tonight. I'm going to get my entire family going on it. So Yay. yeah, this is this is really cool. Angie, thank you so much for your time for uh, and for your specialty and for everything you put into your life. Being able to combine all these different things and and make them accessible to people and and yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for your time and and uh, I hope everything uh, continues through on on the same kind of path. Thank you so much for having me and let me know how you get on with your with your breathing techniques. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Mags Creative. The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. 